The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Starting Sunday morning off, a little Billy Idol. Nothing wrong with that. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it to Revelation chapter 2. And I know that some of you just got really excited Like you're hoping I'm going to break out some sort of end times chart and we're going to navigate all of the goings on today and try and pinpoint the exact second when Jesus is going to return. But that's another sermon. Um, We are going to continue our message on the church at Ephesus, which we're calling the wife of Christ. We introduced that last week to you um, throughout the Bible. God's people are referred to um, in that in that way. They're alluded to in that way. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, we see that, that God's people are referred to as, as, the bride of, as the bride of God, the wife of Christ. Um, last week, we talked about the church of Ephesus, how it began from three chapters in the book of Acts, Acts 18, 19, and 20. And if we could sum up that message, last week's message around one concept and one concept only, the word that we would use is humility. We saw a humility by different people in those texts to submit to the wisdom, knowledge, and authority of other people. We can see that there was a humility of people to sacrifice their wealth and their power and their place and their prestige and their position. And then there was humility, and this actually requires humility. There's humility to have one message, focus on one thing, and that one thing was Jesus. There's humility in having one destiny, one purpose, and that's finishing the work. That's what Paul talked about when he was talking to those elders um, near Ephesus. And then there's one charge. There's humility to give in to one charge, and that's to be on your guard and to lead and to love and to serve other people. And on the way home last night, John and I, John, my son John and I were doing the same thing that many of you do, um, I imagine, in, when you leave here on a Sunday morning or sometime during the day, like you talk about what happened on Sunday morning. That's a common conversation in our house. And John said the one thing that stuck out to him, and this is, I'm not making fun of him, so that's my caveat. Um, like, it's dangerous to have a conversation like that with a, with a Bible college senior, right? Um, because what I know after my experience in working with Bible college students, like, they know everything there ever is to know. Regardless of how long they've been in Bible college, they just know everything that there is to know. So I'm having this conversation with John, and John said very wisely, in fact, the thing that spoke to him the most in the message was, was the importance of doctrine, the importance of having a right theology, having a right understanding of what God's Word said. And the funny thing is, as, as our conversation kind of got longer, um, he's, he's absolutely right. If we, were to, if we were to go back today, which we're not going to do, but if we were to go back today and reread those same texts from last week, from those three chapters of the book of Acts, we would see that they are laden with the importance of having good doctrine. 
they're laden with the importance of having solid theology and, and a right understanding and a right mindset of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And they're just, they're there. Paulus needed to be taught a more correct understanding of baptism so he could be more accurate in his own teaching of other people. That's, that's the importance of right doctrine and good theology. Paul needed to teach the twelve who'd only been baptized into the baptism of John about the role of the Holy Spirit. Remember, he asked them, do you know the Holy Spirit? And they said, what's that? We don't even know what that is. So Paul explained to them what the Holy Spirit was. The seven sons of Sceva, we talked about that. They had a faulty theology and doctrine. See, they thought that just by mentioning Jesus's name, that demons would come out of someone. They, they had it in their minds that Jesus's name was a good luck charm. And, and if I just say the right thing at the right time, then, then the demons, the spirit world, will listen to me. The people who burned all of their sorcery and all of their incantation books, and they had to be the, uh, theologically challenged with the reality that they could not remain who they were and go with God. That was a, that was a theological understanding. They had, to, they had to burn all of those things. And what did Paul say to the church, to the elders of the church at Ephesus? He says, he says there's one message, and that's Jesus. And that's a theological statement. That's a, that's a doctrinal statement. We only have one thing. You, elders of the church at Ephesus, you, you only have one thing, and that's to talk people about Jesus. There's one destiny, Paul says. Finish the work. That's a, that's a theological statement. That's a doctrinal statement to finish to the end. And then there's one charge. Be on your guard, lead, love, and serve. And last week in our staff meeting, we were talking about the end of Acts chapter 20. And it's kind of interesting, like when we, when we read that story, and this is how we ended last week, like Paul hops on a boat, and like that seems like that's the end of the story. And so many times, that's how, that's how we read Scripture, is, is we, like we open our Bible because we're looking for that feel-good verse that we need for the day. Guilty. And we like plop down in the middle of this story. And that's what happened last week. Paul hops on this boat and then he leaves. And I, someone, I, I don't know if it was Mike or Joe said, um, that's a really lousy ending to a story, but it's a great setup for a sequel. Which which we have, and, and we read through this entire, this entire book. And that's one of the things I really like about this current series that we're doing is because we, we get to see the full picture of a New Testament church. We get to see its inception in Acts 18, 19, and 20. And then really, in the text that we're going to talk about today, we're, we're going to hear, like Paul Harvey used to say, we're going to hear the rest of the story. And then over the next several months, beginning next week, we're going, to be re- we're going to read through the book of Ephesians. We're going to study that. And then as we get into next year, we're going to talk about First and Second Timothy. Because Timothy was the pastor at the church in Ephesus. And Paul's going to kind of give him all these writings. And I just found out this week, like in my own... So Bible college students, we don't know. You don't know everything. Um, as someone who's been out of Bible college for a while, I don't know anything. I just found out actually this week that when, when John 
wrote the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he was writing um, like two from Ephesus. So there's a really good possibility that, remember when I said several months ago that this was going to be a nine-month-long uh, message series, and then I kind of backed off on that? There's a really good possibility that 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are going to make an appearance in this series as well. If we jump ahead from, from that scene in Acts chapter 20, where Paul hops on the boat, if we jump ahead about 40 years, we, we have the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John while he was exiled on the island of Patmos, which is a small island in the Aegean Sea. And all of this history matters. I know that not everyone here is a history buff, but what we have to learn to do as Christians is we have to learn to stop just jumping into the middle of a story and not understanding everything that's going around. So John, this apostle, is exiled on this island in Patmos. Well, how did he get there? Well, tradition has it that he was thrown into a vat of boiling oil in the Roman Colosseum, and instead of dying, he stuck his hands up and pulled himself out of the oil. Tradition has it that everyone in the Colosseum that day was converted to Christianity. And then, what do you do with a guy you can't kill? You put on an island in the middle of nowhere. And that's exactly how we have the book of Revelation. And while he's there, he has a vision. He has a revelation of Jesus from Jesus who tells him to write a letter, which is the book of Revelation, to the seven churches in Asia. And in a second, when we read through just these seven verses today, we're going to hear about seven stars and seven lampstands. And just before we read Revelation 2, 1 to 7, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches themselves. That's like a lot of the background in this. So what did Jesus have to say about the church at Ephesus? Let's read from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Write this letter to the angel of the church at Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've discovered they are liars. You've patiently suffered for me without quitting. If we were to summarize those first three verses, Jesus' letter to the church at Ephesus is, you nailed it. You're doing everything as a church that you are supposed to do. Hard work and patient endurance, check. Not tolerating evil people, check. Examining the claims of those who say that they're apostles, but they're really not, check. Patiently suffering without quitting, Check. See, their, their doctrinal and their theological understandings at the church of Ephesus 40 years after it began were impeccable, were perfect. Like they completely understood all of the right doctrine, all of the right understandings. And it seems like if we were to go back, and I said this last week at the end of the message, if we were to go back to Acts chapter 20, Paul's charge was this. Guard yourselves and feed and shepherd the flock. False teachers are coming, even from within. So watch out. 
So it seems like they listened to Paul 100%, doesn't it? Like they heard Paul, what he said, and then those elders went back to their church, and here's what they said. We have to guard our doctrine. We have to be theologically sound. We have to be on the lookout for people who are false teachers, and, and that is, that's from within. So we, as, a, as an elder culture, we have to be on our guard against one another. So their theology and their doctrine was really solid, and you know there's a but coming. Verse 4, But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. See, the issue at the church in Ephesus 40 years later was not the theological foundation, at least when it came to their wisdom and knowledge. Their issue was that their solid theological foundation did not lead them to love Jesus well, and naturally, as an outflow, it didn't lead them to love other people well. See, that was their, that was their problem. And sometimes we tend to think that, that theology and love are mutually exclusive. And here's what that means. Sometimes we think you, like, they have nothing to do with one another. Sometimes we think that, that it's really important to be theologically important, and in fact, that's more important than any other thing that we do. We like to pit them against one another like I'm going to do here for a moment. Some churches are really focused on doctrine. Being right is the most important thing we could ever be. And if we give one inch on any of our theological understanding, if we give one inch on our doctrine, like we just lose everything. And there are other churches that, that are really focused on love on the other side of that. In, in the quest to offend no one, anything goes. Sin is accepted. Neither do I condemn you. That becomes the mantra of that second church. And theology matters to a point, and being doctrinally right matters to a point. But these are not mutually exclusive. They're not two separate things. I love the way Mike talked about this a couple weeks ago. He said that loving your neighbor is the law in action. If we had all of those Ten Commandments up here, we could talk about, we could point to them and say the way to be obedient to that is to love God and to love others. If we want to keep the law perfectly, the way we do that is by loving God and loving others. On Monday, when we read through this text, when as soon as we were done, Shane said this, and he smiled when he said it, so I knew he was joking. But he said, well, I think the most important thing we need to talk about on Sunday is, does Westway's church have an angel? I mean, the church at Ephesus has an angel. Does Westway's church have an angel? 
And then very quickly, Mike said, and the second most important thing would be, who are the Nicolaitans and what did they believe? See, some of us are laughing because it's true. Sometimes we get wrapped up in things as, as Christians and as churches that sound like they'd be really, really interesting for us to talk about, but they only serve to distract us away from what Jesus is saying. When the church at Ephesus fell from Jesus, he didn't tell them to burrow deeper into their theology. Don't, don't miss this. He didn't tell them to burrow deeper into their theology. Jesus didn't tell the, the angel, the, the leader at the church at Ephesus, he didn't say, you know what you should do? Is you should write a sermon series on the three languages, on the three uh, Greek words for love, and you should, t- you should teach that. See, those are the kind of things like we, we typically want to do. Right? Well, what does it mean to love? I remember I, had a, I was having a conversation. I was on a mission trip um, about 10, 10, 12 years ago with high school students and adults. And my adults were really being a real pain in my, um, pain in my side on that trip. Um, they, weren't, they weren't serving our students well. They were really doing a terrible job of it, in fact. And we had a few days left to go, and I, I, pulled, our, I pulled our adult leaders aside, and I said, here's, here's what I need you to do. We have four days left on this trip. And what I need you to do in every one of your interactions with our students over the next four days, I want you to begin that interaction with, how can I serve that student? How can I love that student? That's what I need you to think about. And here's the question that I got asked. Well, what do you mean by serve? What do you mean by love? And in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, are you serious? Jesus is calling the church at Ephesus to repent and to fall in love with him. That's, that's the fix. It's not a sermon series on how to love or a Sunday school class on how to serve. It is repent and fall in love with him. And to do what they did at first. Well, what did they do at first? See, this is the beauty of the church at Ephesus. All we have to do is flip back a few books to see what they did at first. It's right there for us. Almost as if someone was intentionally creating this book so that we could see what it means to love God and love other people. So what did the church at Ephesus do? Well, they were humble. They willingly placed themselves under the authority of spiritual leaders who had more wisdom, knowledge, and authority than they did. They were humble. They confessed their sinful practices before God and man, and they went public. And they sacrificed their wealth and their power and their place and their prestige and their position. All of that for the sake of following Jesus. That's what they did at first. They were humble. They absolutely 100% listened to everything Paul told them to do. Guard your doctrine. Be focused on one thing. And my guess is for a while, they led and they served and they loved. But at some point, they stopped. Well, how do we know that? Well, this is in the text today. Jesus said so. I know all the things you do. 
And when we were talking about that on Monday, Joe said that should cause us great concern. When we read that Jesus knows all of the things we do, we ought to all pause for a moment and take in the weight of that statement. Remember last week when we were talking about Acts chapter 19, and I said in that, in that scene with, with the men who are trying to cast that demon out, how, how the demons weren't fooled, the spiritual world, the spiritual world isn't fooled by our fake Christianity. Neither is Jesus. Jesus sees all that they did. I know all the things you do, and I have this complaint against me. Essentially, you stop loving me and you stop loving others. Newton's first law of motion is simple. Objects at rest tend to stay at rest. And an object in motion stays in motion in the same direction unless it is acted upon by an unbalanced force. Jen Dillinger, I'm speaking your love language. We have an enemy who wants us to be complacent. And we're going to dig far more into this in Ephesians over the next several months. But we have an enemy that wants us to be complacent. He is the unbalanced force that is constantly operating and out to redirect our attention and our focus, to slow our motion and to move us aside. And this is why as a church, this is why we need one another. We need one another. We need the body for this. When we read through, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, there's not a single context of faith in God, in the one God, in the Lord God. There's not a single context of faith in the Lord God outside of community. Hebrews 10.23 says this, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. From Hebrews, there's the be on your guard text. The hard work, the non-toleration of evil people, the patiently suffering without quitting. And then the very next verse says this. This is Hebrews 10.24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. See, if we don't think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, then we get distracted this is, this is what it looks like to love God and to love others as we did in the beginning. This is why we always hear at Westway Christian Church, this is why we always talk about ways to do both. We always talk about ways to get plugged in and get connected to a small group or a Bible study or a Sunday school class. It doesn't even have to be formal. We encourage you to grow in your faith in the community of others, but we also encourage you to take that knowledge and to love others with it. When we don't do both of those things, when we do not guard our doctrine and our theology, and when we don't love others, at best we're redirected, and at worst, at worst, our motion stops. And I think that's the picture of a church in Ephesus, is a, is a stopped motion. And what they needed was Jesus to come in and kick the door down and say, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm pulling your lampstand. If you guys do not get this together, I am pulling your lampstand. And get it together always begins with repentance. Taking seriously how our sin has affected our relationship with God. How it grieves him. And being more than sorry for it, 
wanting to not do it anymore. Yesterday I was reading from Joel chapter 2. And I came across these verses. It says, This is what the Lord says. Turn to me. Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. See, God's desire for us is to, is to repent and then act. But repentance is the step we have to take first. That was the thing that Jesus was telling the church. You must repent. Stop this and then turn to me. So one of the things that we want to do is we want to spur you on to love and good works. That's, that, that's our responsibility. Not only, not only as pastors and elders and ministry team leaders and all of those different things, but that's the responsibility of our body to one another is to spur one another on to love and good works. And we have a huge opportunity to do that, to take an action in our community. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask uh, Becky Jones to come up uh, this morning and share a little bit about a ministry called Embrace Grace. And would you welcome Becky up to the front? Becky Jones. I'm married to the cute guitar player, Dustin, and uh, we've been at Westway since about 2006. And so I just want to share a little bit about my testimony first, and then share a little bit about this new ministry that is that God is bringing to our church. So in the fall of 2005, I was 18 years old. I was a freshman at St. Olaf College in Northfield, Minnesota. I was there on a piano scholarship. I was working my tail off to make grades and just barely getting B's and starting to hate the amount of time I had to practice my piano. So much to my delight, my high school sweetheart drove 12 hours from Scotts Bluff um, to surprise me. And so we had a fun weekend. We went to an Incubus concert and um, had a great time. And he left, and I continued with my school semester. And then the week of finals... I'm doing a little bit of math, and I think, uh-oh, and I go to Target, and I bought a pregnancy test, and um, took the pregnancy test in the communal bathroom of my 10th floor dorm, and hid it in my closet, um, you know, so nobody would know, and then my roommate was kind of, she was, she knew, so she sat with me while I read the test, and it was positive, positive. and the next eight months before, actually, I mean, it was way longer than that, but was a whirlwind of what every girl facing unplanned pregnancy faces. And I had a lot of support. I had a, I had a loving, loving parents. Um, Dustin's parents were very supportive and loving. And uh, it was just a whirlwind of shame and broken relationships and a broken life of not at all what I planned. And um, it, it was brutal. Um, but before that baby was ever conceived, God was moving his church. And so um, Dustin had been playing in this band called No One of Consequence, Fantastic or Forever. And uh, they, it was Adam Coop and Shane Coop were the guitar player and drummer, and Dustin played guitar. And they were practicing once a week or whatever. And so when, we moved, when I moved home, 
um, they invited us to Westway. And so, you know, we started coming, and um, we also continued to hang out during band practice. So Adam's wife, Sherry, we would go to their tiny little apartment, and she had a little baby, and, um, you know, I'd basically watch her feed the baby, put the baby to bed, um, talk to him, discipline as much as you can a, you know, zero to two-year-old. Um, and they just discipled us. I mean, they just hung out with us. and They kept coming to church with us. We'd go to lunch after church and um, really got kind of folded into the body of Christ. Um, we didn't get married right away. I wasn't quite sure that, that I didn't want to make another bad decision just in case that wasn't the right thing to do. Um, on August 7th, 2005, Isaiah was born. I don't know where he is today. I told him I, would pr- I promised not to embarrass him. Um, but he, after 20 hours of labor and really no sleeping, I kind of labored through the night and had him about 10 in the morning, and then all the family came, and I was exhausted. It was like 10 o'clock at night, and uh, Dustin said, you can't go to bed until we name our son, and I said, name him whatever you want. I'm going to bed, and so he named him. He picked Isaiah, and uh, and I just, you know, I liked the name, whatever. It was on our list, and then I uh, started coming to a Bible study at Westway, and God proclaimed the name Isaiah over my son. And so how that happened was I was attending a, a women's Bible study at Westway. And this was after marriage, but I still was fighting a lot of shame and um, the healing from that. And some women just invited me and said, hey, we'll come to Bible study. We'll walk in with you and um, we'll push play on the DVD. And then they just provided a, pre- a place, a setting for God's spirit to work. And so this is the key verse that, that kind of came out of that Bible study time from Isaiah 61. It's a prophecy about Jesus, and it says, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives. I never get through this. <sighs> Hold it together, Jones. Hold it together. And release from darkness for prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. And I actually started believing that that was what God was doing in my life. And you know what Westway never, ever did? They never shamed me. They never called me out on being an unmarried teen mom. They just said, this is my story too. They said, you're going to be such a good mom. They said, would you like to go to lunch? you want to come to Bible study? Do you want some baby clothes? Do you want some maternity clothes? Can I come to your shower? Are you excited? Can I bring you dinner? I mean, it was just like this outpouring. You guys know it was you that did it. Um, And just like that, you just hung on to us. And you trusted God with our sanctification instead of calling us out and making us you know, sit in the shame that we were already feeling so much. Um, So Embrace Grace is a ministry that I found out a little over a year ago. It started in Texas, and it's a a support group for single moms that are facing unplanned pregnancy. So it's a 12-week Wednesday night. We're going to do it Wednesday nights here where the girls will come. We're going to feed them a meal. Um, We're going to have a DVD that we push play on, just like the women of Westway did for me. And then there'll be some discussions so that they can learn who they are in Christ. Um, At the end of the semester, we'll have a big special celebration. Um, The morning is 
kind of a big, exciting celebration over them where we pamper them and pray over them and feed them a meal at the table of the king. They get crowned as daughters of the king. And then in the afternoon, we're going to throw them a big baby shower. And so um, if they come to 70% of the classes, then they get a free baby shower, which you get to participate in. So there'll be a lot more. Watch for information um, more about that. But the reality for girls in unplanned pregnancy in our community, especially those who don't have what I had, who don't have four future grandparents that are supporting them, who don't have the church, is that they walk into Capwin, they take an STD test and a clinical pregnancy test, and they get qualified for government funding, and then they're referred to the Women's Center, and that's it. And so we have made so many good contacts within those organizations. I'm not saying anything bad about them because they do really hard, really wonderful work. And the Women's Center is going to work with us to try to get these girls into our group. So I would like your prayers over that. Um, but doing a little bit of research and looking at other communities in Nebraska, Wyoming, and Colorado, it is extremely rare that our uh, community does not have an emergency pregnancy center or a pregnancy resource center, which is a place where they can go and get information, get counseling, get support. And so it was really interesting as God put our leadership team together, which is myself, Gabby Phillips, and Kim Holloway. And we were praying and kind of wrestling through, like, what is our next step? What is our next step? Gabby found out that actually um, Calvary Memorial Chapel is already starting a pregnancy center. And so that was just like, God is moving in this area. He's moving toward these peop this people group, and we just get to be a part of it with Embrace Grace. And so, um, you know, my long-term vision for this is that it would be a multi-site ministry where there's a small group for pregnant women in every church, and we're all kind of pouring into each other because it's not about bringing in new members. It's about building the kingdom wherever that church meets. And so that's really what we want to do. So um, our, the primary goal of this ministry is outreach, and planting seeds. So we really hope that girls will come. We really hope they'll make a salvation decision, or we really hope that they'll rededicate their life, kind of like I did, um, if they've already know the Lord. Some girls, we might never see that fruit. I know one of the, the leaders in the example said that they had a girl who was uh, practicing Wiccan, and she came to the whole Embrace Grace study, and she just said, oh, I just love how it makes me feel. But she never believed, she never trusted Jesus, but they planted seeds and they planted seeds. They threw her the baby shower, and then a year later, they got a phone call that she had had some bizarre encounter, and the guy said, you need to give your life to Christ, and she did. And so we might not get to see the fruit, and that's okay. We're okay with that, because God promises that his word never comes back empty. Um, so I just want you to be ready to see girls in our building with baby bellies, without wedding rings, and I want you to love on them. Um, they might be from homes where they've experienced abuse or neglect. They might be pregnant because they were raped. We don't know. We don't know who they are until they walk in. They might have church wounds. They might have um, a lot of women who keep the baby have had an abortion the first time, and they, it hurt them so much that they're not having one the second pregnancy, so be ready for that. They might have suffered miscarriage. They might have a poverty or scarcity mentality where they just think, think they're going to use us to get as much as they can, and, and that's fine. Um, they've been probably hustling and trying to earn everything they've ever been given, so we get to blow them away with the free mercy and grace of Christ. We get to do that. What I really needed in 2005 when I was facing this was for the church to proclaim my identity in Christ and help me believe it. And that's what Embrace Grace does every week for these women. Um, this is why it works so well at Westway, because this is what we do. We proclaim Christ. We step back and we let him work. 
um, we get to extend the comfort to them that he has comforted us with. Because I know for many of us, these are our stories. Um, so things that you can do to help me, I've got kind of four things today. When we get to that baby shower event, it's tentatively going to be November 9th, Husker bye week. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> I, I just know. I know how to get volunteers in this community. I'm not going to plan it during a Husker game. So um, anyway, we're going to have a big, um, you know, big day for that. So I'm not going to talk a lot about that. I'll probably hold a meeting. But if you are a gifted event planner, if you love to throw baby showers, if you're good at decorating, those kind of things, please be praying about that and kind of be watching for that volunteer meeting that'll be coming here in the next few weeks. The first thing I want you to do is just pray because we, are, we have a short time schedule for promotion. We're supposed to start September 4th. We've been trying to get in with as many people as we can, hanging up flyers, talking to doctor's offices and things like that, but we have yet to have a single person sign up. The women that come, I forgot to cover this earlier, the women that we come, and you're going to hear me refer to them as blooms, and that's because um, the ministry says we're going to see them as God sees them, as this life is growing inside of them, and as the truth of Christ is flourishing inside of them, it's like a flower that's about to bloom and about to give birth. So when you hear me say blooms, don't be weirded out. That's just what we call the girls. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, we need you to play, pray for the blooms that God wants here. I've got some, um, some papers. I'll be at the Welcome Center after service today, and I have some papers that actually have specific verses that you can pray over our leadership team and over, our, um, over these girls. Um, we also need Wednesday night meals. I have, there's 12 nights. I think I've already had three or four people sign up, so thank you so much for doing that. On our Facebook page we have, there's a thing called Meal Train. There's a link, and I'll, I'll share that within, I think I've shared it within the Westway page as well. So you can click into it there, but I know not everybody who is gifted in the kitchen um, does Facebook or does technology much, so I have a paper sign-up sheet. You can meet me after church, and I'll, I'll sign you up. It's really easy. Um, but when you do that, it's going to be Wednesday nights. We want the food here at about 6.15, so we can kind of get it all prepped for the girls coming at 6.30. So I want you to just hang out, introduce yourself, and start to build relationship with them as well. And then the third thing um, is promotion. I'll have some flyers, business cards. If you work in a place that has a bulletin board where you think girls who might need this ministry would walk by and see it, um, if you have someone in mind, I have some really cool little personal invitations that you can take. Um, so just pray about that, or even if you just want to seek the Lord and say, hey, cross my path with somebody who might need this, and I'll, I'll send one. That's kind of a fun experiment that I've been doing. It's terrifying. Um, and then the, the fourth thing and the most important thing is that I need you to love these girls with a scandalous love. Most likely they are terrified. They are ashamed. They don't feel worthy to even be in this building. And they are so isolated, and Satan makes sure of that. And so we need to fight that. Um, most of them have no idea what, a church actu what the church actually is, and they probably perceive it as a judgmental, rude, and mean people group, and sadly that might be based on their reality. And so um, I want to read to you this week, actually. I'd like you to read by yourself the whole chapter of Isaiah 58 and just see what God stirs up in you. But I'm going to read verse 9. It says, If you do away with the yoke of oppression with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of, oppressed, of the oppressed, your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. So in other words, church, we will not only be healed of our own toxic attitudes toward this people group, but we'll be blessed while we pour out and while we love them. 
And a lot of us were raised in those communities and in those churches and sometimes even in our own families with the pointing finger and the malicious talk. And let's just be done with that. I'm just done with it. I, when people come and tell me, oh, did you hear so-and-so's pregnant? I immediately contact her and say, that's my story too. If you want to talk, I'm here. And I need you guys to go after those people and be ambassadors for Christ. Because all we really need to do is open up our doors and be loving enough to provide the setting for God to work. And we're going to trust him with their salvation, and we're going to trust him with their sanctification, and we're going to stay out of his way. Sound good? Do that with me? Okay. So Steve and Diana were up here earlier, and they talked about Steve talked about how he had been at Westway since 1948. Uh, we talked about over the past two weeks now how we are coming up on our 25th anniversary time here. And I'm just so uninterested in being the church um, 60 plus years after its inception that Jesus comes to us and says, hey, if you don't love me and love other people well, I'm taking your lampstand. Like, I, I did not move to Scotts Bluff, Nebraska to have that happen. Okay, And I'm hoping that you are not here in this church um, with us today to, to ever come to this point where Jesus is like ready to, ready to end all of this. Our desire, I said this a moment ago, our desire is to spur us on to acts of love and good works. And we have such a tremendous opportunity as a body to be doctrinally solid and foundationally secure, which is why every single week, when no matter what pastor comes up here, what do we say the very first thing? Open your Bible to. Okay, we are doctrinally sound and foundationally, biblically secure, and we want to love Jesus and we want to love other people well. So I would encourage you to, um, to encourage Becky, to encourage our, our church leadership in the midst of this. And I love what you said about the they tr- we, you, because I wasn't here yet, you trusted God with their sanctification. That's like an amazing statement. Like we can trust God with, with their sanctification and their holiness. And I, I just love what God's, um, what God's doing. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going we're gonna to sing together. So let's pray. God, I thank you for the way that you are clearly at work in Scott's Bluff and the way that you're clearly at work through through this church body. I know there are so many stories of people that um, that resonate with what Becky uh, shared uh, with us today. And um, God, we want to be we want to be lovers of you and we want to be lovers of people. And we do that best when that love comes out of our foundation in doctrine and theology. So they are not mutually exclusive. They are tied together, and we want to do both. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.